Good morning, and welcome to another episode of Crime Over Coffee. We're your hosts. I'm Erica. And I'm Abby. And today I'm going to tell you guys about the murder of Michelle Martinko. So pour yourselves a strong cup of fire department coffee, and let's dive in. In December of 1979, 18-year-old Michelle Martinko was living in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and was a senior at the Kennedy High School there. On December 19th, she had a school choir banquet, and after it was done, she decided to go to the mall nearby to get a winter coat, and this was around 6.30 p.m. She took her family's 1972 Buick Electra to the Westdale Mall in Cedar Rapids. Her parents were concerned when Michelle did not come home. Um, That was unlike her, and they were instantly a little concerned. They were trying to give some leeway, but that night or early the next morning, I guess, around 2 a.m., they actually filed a missing persons report. And so police ended up going over to the mall to check it out and see if they could find any sign of Michelle or the family vehicle. And it was at around 4 a.m. that police located the Buick in the parking lot. As they approached it, they saw Michelle inside, but unfortunately, she had been murdered. She had been stabbed at least eight times, and that's what they had identified when they first saw her. Later on, it comes out that she was stabbed somewhere between 21 to 29 times. That's a bit of a difference. Yeah, and... These stabs were predominantly in her face, neck, and chest, which seems really personal and aggressive. There were some comments and testimonies from police at the scene, and they just talk about how much blood was everywhere and how much of a brutal and gruesome scene this was. Did it appear that she had been murdered in her vehicle then? Yeah, what police kind of inferred about the situation was that she had unlocked her car and was getting into it when someone jumped her and attacked her in her car. That's not scary at all. Yeah, I have to say, as a woman, that's something I think about all the time at night when I'm going to my car by myself in a parking lot. Especially if it's kind of sparse and empty, I am always so nervous that I'm going to get attacked by somebody. I always expect the classic, somebody's underneath my car, gonna slice my ankles. Oh my gosh, right? That's <laughs> well, That's the one that always goes through my head. Not necessarily somebody attacking me as I'm getting in, But that's just another fear, I guess, for me to add to my list. Well, and I got to say, and I don't know that I should say this on here, but you guys could probably guess it. I just moved to a new city and I am constantly extra nervous about any potential crime that could happen to me, whether it's even like reasonable or not from doing this podcast, because we have researched so many crimes that happen to so many people in so many situations where it's like nothing ever happened there they were taking all the precautions and like you really just cannot fully plan for these situations and i'm always like to the point where sometimes i'm like do i even want to have my maintenance person come over or i'll see like a construction person nearby and i'm like they could watch me walk into my apartment and know where i live like there's so many opportunities for people to just take advantage of you and I have been thinking about it so much lately because of this dang podcast. Well, 
so for my job, I know I've kind of briefly talked about it. I go into people's homes all the time. And a lot of times I'm going into new people's homes that I've never met before. And I'm always like, this is like an ample opportunity for somebody to take me because I'm in their home. And so I definitely overthink it. There's obviously some homes where I'm like, oh, I'm totally fine. But then there's other homes where I'm like, I'm a little nervous here. Right. Well, it, it just, it's, I can't imagine a life where that just never crosses my mind because I think about those situations so much. Which in a way is good because I'm at least like more, I think, aware of my surroundings because of it. But I don't know. It's just, it's such an unfortunate thing that you can, even if you are, not even if you are being careful, it's just unfortunate that we kind of live in a world where like you could just go to the mall and be going back to your car and something this brutal happens to you and obviously undeserved and it just sucks. Michelle did have defensive wounds. She did try to fight back against her attacker. But unfortunately, he was able to overpower her. Um, What ultimately led to her death was a stab to her sternum, which cut her aorta. So she did bleed out and that's how she passed away. At the time when investigators were checking out the murder scene, um, like I said, it was 1979. They didn't really pick up on any fingerprints. Um, They weren't really getting DNA in the way that we would obtain it today. Um, They also did not find the murder weapon. Something else to note, Michelle had gone to the um, mall to pick up a winter coat. It was actually one that her mom had put on layaway. So she had taken $186 with her to pay off that coat and then decided she didn't want it. So she had that money with her and with her when she went back to the car and it was still present when her body was found. So this was not a robbery. They left her purse, her money, So it seemed like the attack was solely to attack Michelle. No other reasons. I have two questions for you, Abby. One, obviously it was a sharp object, but do we know what the murder weapon was? Like, do we know if it was like a kitchen knife or pocket knife or anything like that? Um, I'm not sure specifically. I know that it was, oh, it was reported that it was a knife in all of the, all of the articles and documents I've read. Okay. And my second question Do we know if anybody knew that she was going to the mall other than potentially her parents? That's a good question. I assume, I know her parents obviously did, but I would guess maybe some of her choir mates maybe knew she was going there. But um, police looked into people who knew Michelle and who were in her life and really weren't able to come up with anybody who would have had a motive or seemed sketchy at all. Something I do want to note is that The autopsy showed that she was not sexually assaulted. Um, There was some thought going around from investigators that maybe that was the initial goal of the attacker. And then when she fought back, he just improvised and ended up murdering her so he could get away. So they, because of the nature of the attack, they were thinking maybe it was someone who knew her because it seemed so personal, but also because it was so quick they kind of leaned towards maybe it was a stranger who was just kind of like scoping out the area and she was maybe in the wrong place, wrong time for the situation. Within days of Michelle's murder, police did receive a lot of phone calls and letters and tips and they were followed through, but they weren't able to really get a lot. Um, They offered a $10,000 reward. Something they did end up getting from these tips was enough information from two witnesses 
that they thought might have been involved to release a composite sketch. And this came out in June of 1980, so about six months later. And the sketch showed a white man in his late teens, early 20s, weighing, weighing between 165 and 175 pounds and was about six feet tall. I saw that they compiled a list of more than 80 potential suspects, but more than 60 of them were cleared. I'm not sure exactly what happened with that other 20, but either way, this case falls cold for quite a while. In 2006, so we're at 26 years later, investigators re-examined the case and the evidence. In 2006, so about 26 years later, investigators decide to re-examine the evidence they have. Um, They had collected a lot of it and kept it um, in a sealed bag. I saw they had all of her clothes in one bag. But they tested and they ended up finding DNA from blood from an unknown male. And this came from the back of Michelle's dress as well as on the gear shift of the vehicle. So what they're guessing because they didn't find any prints was that the attacker had gloves on. And when he was stabbing Michelle, he must have cut himself through the glove. And that's what caused the blood to get on her dress and the gear shift. Um, They uploaded it to the system they had, but there were no hits. And so, again, the case just goes cold. In May of 2017, though, investigators are still very involved in this case. Um, It was a big deal for Cedar Rapids. A lot of people really, like, felt personally connected to it. And so they keep trying to reopen the case, which I can appreciate a lot because how many cold cases just go and nobody cares enough to pick them up again. But this one, they're really trying to figure out what's going on. And of course, now they have this blood DNA evidence. So there is like opportunity to find someone. And so in 2017, they contact Parabon Nanolabs and they tested the DNA and they were able to um, predict a, quote, organism's phenotype, end quote, from that. So basically, they can get their physical appearance and their biogeographic ancestry. And so they're using the genetic information from this DNA, and they're able to get a kind of, like, basically a photo, a illustrated photo of what that person who, what that person whose DNA belonged to looks like. And so they released this. And it's a white male with blonde hair and blue eyes. And so now they have this image to work with. Um, They don't get a whole lot more from that, except for having that image. um, Definitely a step up from the composite drawing that they got in 1980, which is just kind of like a pencil drawing that's not very detailed. And with this data, in 2018, they end up uploading it to GED Match which is something we have talked about in past cases. It basically will connect familiar DNA. So it can connect that DNA with distant relatives who have also uploaded their DNA to these systems. Um, Just like Ancestry.com, 23andMe, Eric and I have talked about that. We both did Ancestry.com a while ago. And it's very popular to use that to solve cases now. I do think it's really cool. And I know we've talked about it before, but that we're seeing... Parabon Nano Labs and GED Match, like we're seeing all that stuff kind of unfold over the last few years. Those are both two big companies that we've talked about in many cases that have helped solved helped solve a lot of cold cases when there is DNA evidence left over. And I think it's so cool that you can take DNA and come up with a composite sketch or 
you can come up with a photo basically of an individual and then you can take GED and find their relatives. Like that is some really cool technology. And I love seeing it being used in all these cases, these cold cases from years ago. I know it's so crazy how far technology has come in terms of solving crimes. I mean, the biggest one with GED match that's been in the news is the Golden State Killer that was used with this system. And it's crazy. I love it because it feels like there's finally a hope for all these cases that have just sat for 40, 50, 60 years that we never thought we'd get anything for. And now there's this new system and new process that's catching killers and bringing closure to families. So when they upload the DNA to GED match, what they find is a connection to two distant cousins. And with that, they find a closer cousin to the DNA match. And this woman's name is Janice Burns. And from her, they're able to find three brothers, which the DNA could match. And they are the Burns brothers. These three brothers' names are Donald Burns, Kenneth Burns, and Jerry Burns. And they, what they do is they kind of track all these guys and they collect DNA from them and they find a match to Jerry Burns, who was 64 at this point, so he would have been 25 at the time of the murder. And they match that blood DNA from Michelle's dress to his DNA that they collected, which what they did was they were tracking him and they saw him at a restaurant and he had drank multiple sodas through the straw. And when he left the table, police went over and grabbed it. And that's what they tested to get the match. The mystery has been solved. Here at Crime Over Coffee, our go-to caffeinated beverage for every episode is Fire Department Coffee. And you can get some as well and save 15% with our exclusive coupon code CRIMEPOD15. Owned and operated by firefighters and veterans, 10% of all their proceeds go directly to helping sick and injured first responders. And with an incredible range of flavors and caffeine strength, it's a company that all of us can easily support. So please go to firedeptcoffee.com and use our coupon code CRIMEPOD15 to support us, support them, help first responders, and get some incredibly tasty coffee along the way. That's cool that they did that. Like, that they could do that. I love that you say that because that's something that comes up later on whether or not they're allowed to do that without a warrant. And it ends up getting ruled that a person gives up, quote, reasonable expectation of privacy and property that has been abandoned, end quote. So basically, they're like, you left it here. You didn't take it with you. So it's not your property anymore, basically. I would agree. Like, they threw the trash away. So... And, you know, maybe that would vary that ruling depending on the case and the jurisdiction. But in this case in particular, the judge is like, no, that's fine. (laughs) Yeah. So police are obviously, they've connected Jerry Burns to the crime. And they're kind of like, who is this guy? He grew up in Manchester, Iowa um, and lived there actually at the time of, at the time of police finding him and collecting his DNA. Um, This is about an hour away from Cedar Rapids. He, at one point, had been married to his wife, Patricia, but she died in 2008. Apparently, he lived a pretty quiet life. Um, Nothing too major going on. He owned a powder coating business called Advanced Coating Concepts on the south side of Manchester. And when they brought him in for questioning, he was... 
he basically didn't have any answers for them. He started out saying he didn't know about the murder. He went on to say, well, he remembers hearing about it at the time. And when investigators are like, why is your DNA in her car? He's just like, I don't know. That's probably not a good reason. Like, no, I don't know is the answer that people give when they know. They do know. Like (laughs) in this situation saying, I don't know, like you would have at least been like a little more defensive to a point, I guess. Like I like, how could that be in there? Or like at least come up with a BS excuse like, I mean, I would have went with, oh, yeah, we were dating, I guess. I mean, that's the only reason that your DNA would be in her car. You at least have to go for something like that. He didn't even try. She's like, I don't know, which he probably was just shocked because how many years have gone by, you know, and he probably, he probably thought he was good. Yeah, probably thought he was in the clear. Good thing there's no statute of limitations on murder. Yes. So they start to look into... um his stuff. They get a warrant for his home and his office um, computers and stuff at his office. And something that I found when I was reading about the trial that I thought was notable, um, they ended up, I'm pretty sure, ruling that it you couldn't use it in the case. You couldn't use it as evidence against him. But I think it points to something. What they found on his computer was that he had a lot of search activity involving, quote, and I apologize before I say this quote. I'm so nervous. Blonde females assault, rape, strangulation, murder, abuse, and rape of a deceased individual and cannibalism, end quote. And like, sure, maybe you can't. I get that you can't sometimes, you know, point to what somebody is looking at or listening to and saying that means they did this. I get that. But come on. First off, if people looked at my search history, there would be some concern as well. <laughs> right. <laughs> but no, that, that, what, what, okay, wait, was that all one search or like that was stuff that he had searched multiple times? It's stuff he'd searched before. I'm sure there were some combinations of a few of them at different times, but God, can you imagine just typing that very specific? Like- I, I know. That's why I was like, wait. Did he have a reasoning, like, when they brought this up? Did, did he say, like, or no, because they couldn't use it as evidence. Mm-hmm. So they probably, he probably didn't even have to speak about it. No. I would have been curious to hear his excuse. Yeah. I don't know, man. All the ucky feelings come to me when I read that. I'm so uncomfortable. I cringe every time I read it. It's disgusting. It makes me wonder if, if Michelle was his only victim. I was... You started that sentence and I knew what you were going to say. That's why I was nodding before you finished it. Because I have no doubt. I mean, especially with how violent a crime. And maybe she was his first. But I would be very surprised if he didn't commit something else later. Like throughout the 39 years. Especially because he'd gotten away with it. He probably had the mindset that he'd continue to get away with it. Did he have any like anything on his record at all? Not that I saw um, what I from what I saw, he just had like a really he lived a pretty quiet life. Nothing major. So maybe he had something small, but nothing, nothing like this on December 19th, 2018. So on the anniversary of Michelle's death, police charged and arrested Jerry Burns and he ended up going to trial. He pled not guilty. So he actually went to trial and got tried 
2020. Um, there's a lot of great articles that follow the trial um, that I have that we'll have links to in our description. But basically, he is found guilty in February of 2020 of first degree murder. And the jury only deliberated for about three hours. So that's a pretty short time um, for a jury, especially in something like this. So they were the DNA evidence, I think just really sealed it. I mean, if your blood DNA is at a murder scene like that, and you have no reason to explain it, what else? That seems pretty cut and dry to me. I would agree. In Iowa, first-degree murder carries a mandatory term of life in prison. So he is in prison for life. He's been trying to um, appeal it. He's been complaint for not him, I guess. His lawyers are trying to claim that the DNA and how it was collected could be giving false information or they're, they're grasping at little technicalities is what I've gathered. Um, so far, nothing's come of it. Of course, it's only 2021. Well, actually, almost 2022 now. But um, like I mentioned, the trial just happened in 2020. So appeal processes are very long. So we'll see if anything comes of it. I personally don't get the impression that anything will. Like I said, to me, it seems pretty cut and dry. Unfortunately, both of Michelle's parents had passed away before they were able to sentence Jerry Burns. But Michelle had a sister and a lot of friends in this whole community that really rallied around the family and the situation and really were pushing for justice. So at least in a way, I think a lot of people did get closure for this situation. And I'm just happy to see that Michelle's killer was brought to justice. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Crime Over Coffee. You can find us on Instagram at Crime Over Coffee or on Facebook at Crime Over Coffee Podcast, where all of our photo and video content for each episode can be found. You can also email us your thoughts and case suggestions at crimeovercoffeepod at outlook.com. Also, all of our sources can be found in the show notes of each episode. If you would like, you can support us by going to anchor.fm slash crimeovercoffee. Donations are greatly appreciated and assist in making the podcast possible. Other ways to support us include recommending us to friends and family, giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening medium. So again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.